In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. What do you think a team of medical doctors could possibly learn about practicing medicine from a Formula One racing team? If the doctors remained teachable, they might be able to learn a lot. In fact, that's what actually happened at a hospital in London, of all places, not too long ago. One of the head surgeons in the ICU after completing a 12-hour emergency transplant was decompressing in front of his TV watching a Formula One race. And as he watched, he noticed as one car pulled into his pit crew, who promptly changed the tires, flushed out the air intakes, refueled the car, and all in a record seven seconds, as they're prone to do. And his mind began racing, wondering how much time it took his team to untangle cords, unplug devices, and make the handoff from the ICU to the medical uh, step-down units, and so on throughout the process. And he wondered and thought, well, it probably takes us at least 30 minutes just to get everything untangled, let alone get them down to the proper places. So he had a radical idea that maybe he'd invite this pit crew into his hospital to have them train his staff. Now imagine the pushback of highly trained professionals in London at a top hospital as the McLaren and Ferrari race teams walked in to teach them what to do in terms of their procedures in running their ICU. But they had a lot to share. They observed all that they did and then began to share with them some better practices. Did they know anything about medicine? Absolutely not. But did they know anything about efficiency and the complexity of processes? They knew everything and were experts in their field. So after they left, the medical team um, began to implement new training, new procedures, step-by-step -step checklists, and even a diagram of where everyone would stand in procedures and what they would do at each moment in the handoff. And the results were quite extraordinary. It almost halved the handoff errors from the ICU, uh, or rather from the emergency room to the ICU and all the transports that happen um, in getting patients to and from their procedures. You see, the hospital's problems were actually solved by a group of people who knew nothing about practicing medicine. But the Formula One team's expertise allowed them to easily spot what the hospital tribe had completely missed. And the medical team was humble and teachable enough to learn from this group of outsiders. I shared this with you this morning because the lesson before us from Mark's gospel with which we began, not the passion reading, but the one about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, serves to do much of the same for our lives. If we're teachable, Jesus doesn't just show us how to live more efficient lives. He shows us how to live with more efficacy, more purpose, and more direction in life. Doing so not at the moments when we're at major crossroads, when we just absolutely need to hear from the Lord, or when we don't know what else to do because we're at the end of our rope, but if we would learn to be humble and teachable daily, Jesus would instruct us in the way that we should go, and we live lives that are much more fulfilling. So I'd invite you, if you would, to open back to Mark 11 in your Bible, if you have it, or to follow along in person on the screens as we take a look back at it 
and discover uh, what I believe are at least three very simple lessons that would serve us well, certainly on the start of Holy Week, but serve us well as we seek to live according to God's plans and purposes daily. As you locate it, let's just pause briefly to take in the weight of what we just opened up to. This falls on the heels of three years of Jesus' public life and ministry, after countless teachings and healings and moments when the kingdom of God has broken through in extraordinary ways to those who walked with Jesus or maybe even heard about what Jesus did. And in many ways, the expectations and the anticipation of the disciples mounts with each step leading them up the Mount of Olives. We can imagine as they crest the top of the Mount of Olives and look down on the city of Jerusalem, the tension is right. What will Jesus say and do next? What are our next steps? This is the end of a long journey as we begin from Galilee and end on that mount. And as they pause there and wait for direction, Jesus indeed speaks. The words that he speaks are those of great depth and detail from verses 2 and 3 in Mark's gospel, who, as you know, is one known for his brevity. So when he tells us, go here in this place, find a cult tide, if somebody asks you, say this, and then bring it back to me, there's something of note. Now, there's so many layers in just those three opening verses of Mark 11 that hold such symbolism and such richness. However, the highest level and the hardest lesson, perhaps, is this, and a first point for us to pause in learning to live more fully according to God's plans and purposes for our lives. And the lesson is quite simply and quite profoundly this, to listen to Jesus. To listen to Jesus. Now, for us, when we look at the text, we say, well, obviously they listen to Jesus. They're standing face to face with Jesus, and he's talking to them. But if we can put ourselves in the context of what's going on, imagining all that's racing in their minds and their hearts as they wait to see what Jesus will do, um, it probably had to be a little harder than that. To listen to Jesus, to go to an unknown place, to take something that was not theirs, um, to bring it back to Jesus for an unknown purpose at the time. And yet, in the midst of it all, that is what they're called to do. Maybe as Jesus tells them to go get a colt, they begin to race in their own minds to what this could symbolize. Maybe they, like the crowds, are beginning to think about a triumphant king and the imagery of Jesus going into Jerusalem. Maybe they're 20 steps down the road from what Jesus has even unpacked yet. And while it seems obvious to us, <clears throat> they had to listen to Jesus in the midst of all of this. And I think therein is a lesson for us as well. Jesus still speaks. Jesus still instructs us. Jesus still guides and directs us today. If we would but listen. Listening to Him amidst all the noise and nigglings is both vital and very difficult. Jesus speaks to us in the pages of Scripture, not when we just read it through for um, just a quick run-through to tick the box in your devotional time or going through the daily office, but when you actually mark it, digest it, even dialogue with it in prayer or with someone else praying through it, creating times for Him 
to speak. He speaks when we confess what clutters our hearts and our minds so that we're so full of other things that we can't even begin to listen. He speaks when we settle into his presence, not looking at our watch going, God, I've only got about 10 minutes, so now's the time when I need to hear a clear word about what I'm supposed to do. But when we learn to take time and enter into God's pace and grace for life, he speaks if we would but listen. Learning to hear him is a constant process. As we learn to lay down our own times and our own agendas, our own plans, our own habits and sinful hang-ups, and have ready hearts that are open to hear what he has to say. It's a lifelong process, and Jesus indeed speaks if we'll settle in and listen to his voice. If we will, we will hear his voice. And it's interesting, the sequence of what's going on in the text, because the listening always comes first in our walk with our Lord before anything else. It precedes anything else, and it requires great humility and great trust on our part to want to listen before we do anything else. In a very pedantic way, um, the London doctors, of course, had to listen to these Formula One racing teams and their suggestions before they could implement a single thing. And that had to be hard. How much harder for us when we have our own agendas, plans, days, schedules, ideas, purposes, pressing issues to sit and listen to our Lord first and foremost. But it's vital because only in the listening as odd as what we may hear or receive from the Lord may seem, can we begin to move to the next step, a step that's before us if you turn back to verse 4. Notice that, no surprise to us, but perhaps surprise to them, these two unnamed disciples, intentional perhaps by the gospel writers, the focus is not upon them, but upon what Jesus has said. When they go to find this cult, everything is exactly like Jesus said, every single detail. Jesus could have said, um, you know, there's a guy that's going to approach you, and he's going to ask what you're doing. He just kind of says, well, there may be someone that asks, and if they do, here's how you respond. And even down to that detail, it's exactly as Jesus laid forth. So they then have to bring this cult back to Jesus. They then lay their cloaks on that cult in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy as this cult had never been ridden, and they provide the makeshift saddle, if you will, a further action point. Everything has gone as Jesus laid forth, and they only discovered that when they were obedient to what they had listened to the Lord and received. I think therein is, is a simple second lesson for us. If we walk and live according to God's plans and purposes, First, we must listen, then we must obey. And perhaps the obedience is even harder than the listening, because in many ways it's equally, if not more, challenging. Again, this seems simple in the text. Sure, yes, they've heard Jesus, they've gone and done what he said, but um, in many ways it is quite complex. Um, going to someone you don't know, untying something that's theirs, bringing it back to Jesus for, again, yet an unknown purpose at this point, did require faith. And in many ways, when we cultivate our prayer life in such a way that we learn to listen and trust the Lord, not just in the big um, forks in the road, but in every daily decision, we learn to do the same. 
asking the Lord what is best for our family in this season, even when things are going well, which is a scary thing to invite the Lord into. Asking the Lord how to support our spouse best, our kids, how to use our days, our finances. When we invite Jesus into all areas of our lives, he oddly will have something to say. And as we listen, this is the hard part, then we're faced with a choice. Will we sidestep what he said? Will we doubt everything he said? Did God really say the very first words of temptation back to Genesis? Um, Will we ignore him or will we obey him? Obedience is tough and it's best practiced in the simple things to get our legs under us. If I could give you some action points, be obedient in the small things. It will serve you well when you get to the big ones. God's already revealed those, has he not? Keep the Sabbath holy. Create times and space for prayer. Use your gifts and your talents for the kingdom of God. When we can learn to obey in those ways and cultivate obedience in the day in and day out, when God says, leave your nets and follow me, you now have a context for it. When he says, pursue this path, even if it means staying a path that you don't want to be on, you have the fortitude to do it. When God says, speak to this person, even though you're terrified, but God purposes to bring them into the kingdom or move them a step closer, or you're watering a seed that God's planted, you're planting it in the first place, therein obedience has served us well and leads to transformed lives. Now, the end of the puzzle, the end of the passage, the place we all want to begin actually comes at the very end, if you look back at verse 8. After listening to Jesus, after obeying what he said, then and only then does the why become clear. They ride into Jerusalem. The crowds begin to mount as they go. People are crying out in hosannas, praying that the kingdom of David, their forefather, would then be established. Now in this moment, even though it's kind of a quick sequence of events, do they just begin to understand what Jesus is doing? But even then, only in part. Yes, they're receiving a king, but they don't realize they're receiving the king of kings. They don't understand the full weight of it. And in many ways, um, this side of the veil we don't know, but by God's grace, maybe one day we will see. Um, We don't hear later when the disciples look back the aha that they had when they look back on this moment and realize, oh, wow, it was so much bigger. It was so much bigger than Jesus just riding in triumphantly as we hailed him with palms and laid down our cloaks, an ancient symbol of receiving a king triumphant out from battle into the city of Jerusalem. It was so much bigger than that. It had everything to do with what God had purposed in choosing his people Israel in the first place, that they might be a light unto the nations, to instruct the world and live in a a way that God's purposes and relationship might be revealed to them. They understand, yes, but only in part. And therein, I believe, is a final lesson for us as well. The one that we want to jump to first, it comes last. Namely, that as we learn to listen and obey, then and only then do we understand. One of the greatest minds of Christendom, called St. Anselm, put it this way, faith-seeking understanding. We, we want to understand first that we might have faith. God, show up, do these things, and then I'll believe. We want our fleeces, we want our Gideon moments, we want all that. But more often than not, we don't catch the fullness of it until when in humility 
and obedience, we walk through it with him. And that is the lesson that we remember this day. And God doesn't have to do it. But in his goodness and in his mercy towards us, he often just peels back the veil enough that we begin to see later on why he asked us to do those things. I've seen this countless times in my own life. Sometimes I catch glimpses and I still don't fully understand, and that doesn't really matter. But everything within us wants to get it first so we can get there. But in the kingdom of God, that is totally flipped on its head. As we learn to listen first, obey first, and then and then and only then do we get a glimpse of what he is doing. I share this with you as we begin in Holy Week because ultimately that's what Jesus patterns for us this week, for our sake, showing us at every step along the way how he listened to God the Father, how he obeyed what God did, and although he knew, we didn't fully know what his journey to the cross would entail, but on the other side of it, we have the fullness of that understanding. So today, my prayer for you as we embark upon Holy Week is that, that we would be a church and a people who are quick to seek the Lord first, quick to listen to His voice, quick to obey, and then perhaps we'll catch a glimpse of what He's doing. As we move through this season and we're starting to see growth again and we're looking to the other side of Easter and hopes high, rise high on COVID being a word of the past, this will serve us well. As a church, we're going to have no abundance of great ideas and things that we'd like to do. But in this season, we need to be still, we need to seek the Lord's face, and then we need to be obedient, even if it looks different. Because in doing that, we'll begin to see, perhaps only in part, what God purposes for us. We need to be a church that is ready to meet all the things that lie before us, but we can't do that in our own wisdom or strength. So as we reflect on these things, appropriately, oh, almost a year to the date, when COVID became part of our regular vocabulary, it will do us well to look at where we go. And as we reflect upon that in the coming days of Jesus' example, may we learn to listen to Him, obey His voice, and then come, perhaps only in part, to understand what He is doing in us and through us for His sake and to His glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.